Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to message number two in this series, Sanctify Your Family. Today, in this message, we're, we're going to be talking about setting your family apart. You know, the word sanctified means to set something apart. It can mean to set something apart unto something, or it can mean to set something apart away from something. So whenever we are talking about sanctification, we're talking about something that can uh, bond us to God, as well as something that can deliver us from, from destruction, from the attacks on the outside. Now, last week, we talked about healing the breach in our family. And I'm telling you, every family not only has breaches and hurts and wounds within it, but every family to a certain degree is every person's breach. Remember, a breach is where, it's where, it's where the wall has been broken down. It's where that which is supposed to protect you has been, has been destroyed and is making you vulnerable to other things. And I'm going to tell you something. When you heal these issues that you have with your family, what you're going to understand is that these have been carried over into the other areas of your life and are affecting the way you relate to everybody around you. So we're going to, we're going to make that journey, and we're going to make it in a way that's really, that's really not painful and it's not difficult. You know, uh, my family, of course, many of you know my story, my family, was, was we were all low-level criminals, and uh, uh, you know none of us were really, really violent criminals. I mean, there was violence, but not. I'm not talking about murder and that sort of thing. But uh, my, my brother, uh, before he gave his life to the Lord, man, he loved the criminal life. He loved running con games. He loved stealing stuff from people. He he loved getting it over on people. I don't know what I don't know what it was about the criminal life that he loved so much, but whatever it was, it met a need in his life and it gave him this deep, deep sense of identity. I can't tell you how many times before he gave his life to the Lord, um, just out of nowhere, I began to get this burden for him. Now, now, let me let me tell you, when you get a burden for people, whether people in your family or there are other people, don't just blow it off. Don't just be irresponsible. Remember. One, one of the Greek words for sin is to hear amiss. It's where God is speaking something to you, and you let it go. You don't act on it. You don't pursue it. You don't search it out to figure out what he's trying to say to you. I can't even tell you how many times uh, some tragedy would happen to somebody, and uh, afterwards I would be talking to some believer, and they'd say, well, that's interesting because, you know, I, I really had him on my mind last week. And I would often ask the question, well, well, what did you do? Well, I didn't do anything. God didn't tell me to do anything. Well, maybe the fact that we're ambassadors for Christ is something we seem to overlook and, and misunderstand or not be interested in because as representatives for Christ, when somebody gets on our heart, gets on our mind, it, I have found that is essential that I pray that I spend time seeking God to find out if this is something that I need to be involved in either one, as a witness to that person, or number two, as an intercessor 
to help that person come through whatever they're facing. And so, so I remember one night uh, I began to just have this uneasy feeling about my brother. I was living in a little little town here in North Alabama. He was living, I believe, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, there in Charlotte, him and one of his business partners, uh, they started running crossways with the mob. And they had a business, and the mob wanted to take over that business. He didn't want to give up his business. So, uh, so basically, the mob made a move against him. He managed to get away, and he retaliated. He went and did tens of thousands of dollars worth of damage to one of their businesses. Well, you don't do that to the mob and just walk away from it. And so, so they, they came after him and, um, and had him hemmed up in, a, in the building where his business was. And because of shots being fired and being exchanged, uh, the SWAT team was called out. Now, I didn't, I didn't know any of this. All I had was this deep burden for my brother. And so, so uh, as it turned out, when the SWAT team came out, he, he slithered down through a crawl space that went under the, under the building and crawled on his stomach on the ground over to the next building and went into the next building without ever being detected. And so when the SWAT team came, to kill him, they couldn't find him. He wasn't there. When they breached the building, he wasn't there. So that night I prayed and spoke life over him for hours. I just prayed as I felt led to. I prayed in the spirit. Sometimes I'd pray in my own understanding. I spoke life. I spoke safety. I had no idea what, what was going on. And so finally, I can't remember if it was that night or the next night, finally we got up with each other over the phone and I found out what was happening. And I told him, I said, listen, God saved your life last night. And I told him the whole story of the Lord speaking to my heart to pray for him. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he didn't get saved right then, but this was one of the many, many, many times that he knew his life got spared because God intervened. And this made him begin to listen. It made him begin to pay attention. Listen, when people have when people have their lives saved or when they have situations that happen in their lives that help them and they know it's a God thing, it slowly begins to open the door to their lives. You know, there's a scripture that as a new believer, I read it, I believed it. I always chose to believe every, every scripture, whether I understood it or not, whether I liked it or not, I chose to believe every scripture. And I can't tell you how many times I would read a scripture and I would just say, God, I choose to believe this, but I have no idea how to understand it. I have no idea how to interpret it. So you're going to have to help, help me see this. In the book of Acts, 16th chapter, some of the apostles were put into prison. And so, and, you know, when, when you go to prison in the ancient world, the, uh, the, the jailkeeper that, that took care of you, if you escaped, then that jailkeeper had to serve your sentence in your place. And so there was earthquake, the prison doors open, and man, the jailkeeper was convinced that these that these prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out to him and said, look, we are all still here. They began to share the gospel with him. And they said to him, believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved and your house or your household. Now, here's the thing. We know that I can't get saved for anybody else. I can't believe for anybody else. 
I can't actually impose upon anybody else's will, and God won't impose upon anybody's will. So it was a mystery to me the depth of what this could mean. I mean, there's a lot of ways I could understand how that, okay, if I get saved, then eventually that may trickle down to my to my family members or to other people I know, to other people I love. But I knew there was more to this than I was seeing. And it was one of those things that I said, God, I don't understand this. But I'll tell you what, I began to participate in a principle that I did not understand, that I didn't even know. You know, I tell people this all the time. Uh, people say, how did you come into so many of these things uh, that, that, you know, that work and make your life work? And, and how did you do it? Where did you learn this stuff? Most of the time, I didn't learn it. Most of the time, I just followed the Holy Spirit, uh, and he would lead me into these things, and I would ignorantly end up doing the very most important thing that I could ever, ever do. Now, I'm going to read you part of scripture. I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I feel like I want to read it here. You know, and, and the Apostle Peter says in one place, he says, sanctify the Lord in your hearts. Now, there are many dimensions to the whole concept of sanctified, to being set apart. There is a legal sanctification where legally we are sanctified. God has declared us to be sanctified. God has declared that we are set apart. God has declared that we are his special people. And, uh, and all that's real, all that's true, but none of that is functional and none of that actually benefits our lives until the beliefs of our heart are in harmony with what God is doing from his heart. And so, you know, there are people, matter of fact, I've, I've had people argue, you know, they say people don't need to confess Jesus as Lord. He is Lord, whether they confess it or not. You know, totally missing the point. The question is not, is he the Lord of glory? He is. But the real question is, is he the Lord of glory to you? Is that how you relate to him? Because if you don't relate to him as Lord, then he is of no benefit whatsoever in your life. It's just information. So it's the same way with sanctifying the Lord in your heart. The apostle Paul is saying, now, you know, God has set you apart in his heart. But the question is, have you set God apart in your heart? Have you made God special in your heart? Have you elevated God to the place of being holy in your heart? Have you, you know, uh, do, do you hallow the name of the Lord God? So, so, one of the problems is there are things that God has legally given us, positionally given us, that are ours. They belong to us. We don't have to do anything to get them, but we are not sharing in them because we have not uh, set aside those things in our heart. Now, I'm going to read you a scripture, and uh, this is this will probably sound like I'm lifting it out of context, maybe just slightly. But actually, what I'm really doing, I'm taking a principle here and showing how, based on other scriptures, uh, this gets bigger than what it sounds like. In 1 Corinthians 7, uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about uh, what we go through whenever a believer is married to an unbeliever. He says in 1 Corinthians 7, 12, he says, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. Now, listen to this. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified, is set apart in some unique way here. Now, I'm adding that unique way. He is set apart 
or she is a part of some way. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now are they holy. You know, uh, there's a lot of levels. I understood this when I first read it, but there was a whole lot of levels that I did not understand this. Now, I'm not sure how this happens. I'm not sure I understand all know, but I just know that when we who are believers, and let me say something about this past scripture. We tend to take these, these scriptures about believing and unbelieving spouses and make that purely about whether or not they are Christians or non-Christians. And I think that's a bad mistake to do that. You can have two believers married to each other, but when it comes to certain issues, one doesn't believe what the Word of God says. So in that category, in that place in life, they're an unbeliever. Now they're they're a believer as far as as far as salvation goes. And but the other one might believe a promise of God. And so many times you find people who are both Christians, but but one of them does not believe the promises of God. One of them does. And so the one that does is seeking to walk these things out in their life. And the one that doesn't seems to always be messing up the plan and causing conflict and hurting the faith of the person as a believer. So let's not look at these, this terminology, terminology where it says uh, unbelieving husband or believing wife or vice versa as just whether or not people are lost and saved. Maybe we should look at that as to whether or not people are in the faith at this moment about whatever uh, is going on in their life. But we know that somehow there is a scope of sanctification that goes farther really than we have commonly understood. Like I said, you know, we, we, we understand legal sanctification, positional sanctification. And I believe it's easy for us to understand the fact that for us to enter into that sanctification, there has to be, or us to enter into it experientially, there has to be something that happens in our heart. But there is this dimension of sanctification where people around us are influenced in ways that I I really, I can't explain. I just know that they happen. People who are with, hanging out with, walking with, living with, visiting with people, other believers who are confident in their identity in Christ and their position in Christ, uh, those people bring, in a certain sense, a level of sanctification into their circle of influence. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul saw. He said, you may be married to an unbeliever, but the unbeliever can experience some degree of being set apart just because they are, in fact, married to an unbeliever. I mean, to a believer. So, again, you know, we, we don't want to jump too far off the rails with this, but we do want to understand maybe there is a dimension here that I really need to take advantage of. You know, my mother, uh, she was married to my stepfather. They were married, they were married for, I don't know, 40 years probably. Now, he was one of the meanest, most violent men that I've ever known. Now, my mother was the second person that I led to Jesus. My sister was the first person. And so when my mother gave her heart to the Lord, she was in a terrible situation with a violent man who was dangerous, 
and uh, uh, you know her life was on the line so many times. And um, I'll never forget talking to her one time after she'd gone through. You know, I went to her house and visited her, and there were bullet holes in the headboard of her bed. I don't think he was really trying to kill her. I think he was just trying to scare her. And I said, Mom, why don't you just leave this guy? And she told me this. She said, she said, son, nobody is ever going to love him. He is too mean. And she said, if I leave him, he's never going to get saved. He's never going to come to Jesus because there's nobody in his world that knows Jesus. And there's nobody in his world that really loves him. And she said, she said, I'm going to stay with the hope that he comes to know the Lord. Well, I'll tell you something. I, I'd always prayed for my for my stepfather, and, and I would witness to him, you know, when the opportunity would be there. One of the main ways I witnessed to him is I was always honest. I was always fair. I was always kind to him. I was always kind to my mother. The only witness that he would let me bring to him was a lifestyle witness. He, he didn't want to sit down and talk about God. That's all right. I honored that. I respected that. And so I, I can't, I'm not sure I can even explain the depths of, of what I'm about to say here. I can just tell you, but when my mother told me why she was going to spend the rest of her life with him, I remember thinking, I will not let my mother give up her life in vain. And so over the years, man, he would get in fights, he'd get in gunfights, he'd get in knife fights, he'd be in automobile accidents, all these bizarre things would be happening. And every time something would happen, the way I would pray for him would be this. I would use my authority. I didn't beg God to make something happen. I used my authority. And by the way, in this, in this special uh, bundle that we have for you to pray like Jesus prayed, I talk about this kind of prayer. This is specifically the kind of prayer that Jesus prays, specifically the way Jesus used authority to make things happen. But every time something crazy would happen in his life, here's what I would speak and declare over him. You cannot die until you know Jesus. Now, you know, I know in a certain sense I had no right to say that, but also know in a certain sense that I had the witness of the Holy Spirit every time I would do that, that, okay, based on this decision, he's going to stay alive. And so, so throughout the years, again, man, he would get knife outs. I've seen him cut to shreds. I've seen him, I've seen him in automobile accidents with bones broken, and I don't even know how he survived. I, people have pulled guns on him and started pulling the trigger and click, click, click. They would misfire. It was just, it was just bizarre, the things that happened in this guy's life. And, and even when he got hurt, even when we'd end up in the hospital, my thing was, you cannot die. You will stay alive until I can share the gospel with you and you come to know Jesus. So as years went by, uh, all kinds of bizarre things happened. I, won't, I could give you hours worth of stories. But uh, he, he got cancer. And so I was in Canada doing a meeting. And I get the call that he is in the hospital and very probably will not live much longer. And so immediately, first thing I did, my heart, I went, I went to that place in my heart, like, you will not die. I'm coming to share the gospel with you. So I got a, an airline ticket. I flew from Canada here to Huntsville. I went to the hospital. And when I got to the hospital, uh, uh, he was pretty much in a coma. 
And I'm, I'm thinking, no, you, you're not dying without hearing the gospel. So at some point in time, I don't know how it worked out this way, but at some point in time, I managed to be in the room with him by himself. Nobody else was there. And so, and I've done this a lot with people in comas, and I've seen people come out of comas and get completely clear-minded, have a discussion with them, pray with them, and then they would go back into the coma, and nobody would ever know it but me. And so I'm in here with him, and I'm just talking to him. Like, I know you can hear me. I know that inwardly your inner man is awake, even though right now your outward man is asleep. And man, I began to share, you know, the love of God with him in a way that I never could because he was too violent and threatening when he was awake. So, so he opened his eyes and he came out of this coma and he was crying and he was saying, Jesus, why are you doing this to me? And I said, what's Jesus doing to you? He said, he's tormenting me. I said, no, he's not. And uh, I shared how God was good and God was always good. That was his own conscience that was tormenting him. And so I shared the gospel with him again and prayed with him. And he invited Jesus into his life. I'll never forget. I walked down to the foot of his bed. I was sent to the foot of his bed. And I was thinking, if he goes back into this coma and never gets a chance to testify, uh, nobody's going to believe it because he he's just one of the meanest men that any of us knew and the most violent people knew. Nobody would have believed it. Everybody would have thought I was making it up or I was being sensationalist or or something like that. So I stood over at the end of his bed and I said, you will live for two weeks and share your testimony with everybody that comes in here. And then you can cross over. Because I wanted my mother to hear it out of his lips, not just out of my lips. For the next two weeks, every time he woke up, and just every now and then, he would come out of that coma. And he would start saying, I really did it. I did it. I really, and look at my mother. He'd say, Josephine, I really, I, I really did it. I gave my life to Jesus. And then he'd slip off back in this coma. Every now and then, he'd, he'd come out of that coma. My sister was in there, and he would say, do you hear all that singing? Do you hear those angels singing? And man, I'm telling you, he testified about his salvation every time. He came out of that coma, and two weeks later, he crossed over and went to be with the Lord. Now, I'm telling you what, I wanted my mother to have peace. She had dedicated her whole life to this, and I wanted him to go to heaven. I wanted his sins to be forgiven. Now, I don't know. I can't, I can't explain all that to you. I can read the scriptures to you about people being sanctified or set apart. On some level, because I was a believer, and on some level, because I used my authority he was set apart from death temporarily for a short period of time. You know, same thing, something like this actually happened with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was on a ship. You can go read about Acts 27, uh, starting in verse 9 going forward. Paul was on a ship, and uh, and so the the shipmaster was getting ready to kill all of the all of the slaves on board and, and, and prisoners and throw them overboard. And Paul says, no, wait. He says, an angel has stood by me this very night. And I'm telling you, as long as you don't hurt anybody, this ship, we're going to lose the ship and the cargo, but we're going to be saved. And so an entire shipload of people were saved just because one believer was there. Now, listen, what I want you to come to understand is this. 
you have an unseen advantage because you're a believer. So let's go back to that verse that says, sanctify the Lord in your heart. Well, now, first and foremost, we have got to determine that we are going to set God apart in a special place in our heart and that and that that this is a place that's that's our secret place where we meet with him and we commune with him and he becomes the most important influencer in our entire life but in addition to that in our hearts not something we do intellectually not something we do because we're impressing upon people we've got to come to a place in our heart where we sanctify, we set our families and our loved ones and our friends, we set them apart in our heart for this special purpose that we intend to minister to them, we intend to love them, we intend to show them Jesus, and we're going to listen to God for ways that God will lead us to minister to them. And I'm telling you, this is where you're going to move into supernatural realms of having words of knowledge and prophetic words, and you're going to help people and gifts of healing are going to manifest and miracles are going to manifest because you have set them apart unto the Lord and you have committed your life. You know, in the book of Acts, whenever the, whenever the uh, early church was being persecuted for preaching the gospel, they got together and prayed and they didn't pray to escape persecution. They didn't pray for God to do anything to these other people. They prayed to have boldness. And that's what we got to pray. We're going to set people apart and we're going to seek God for the boldness to minister. Listen, be sure and check out this bundle I've got for you. How to pray like Jesus prayed. It's three separate bundles. Look at it really, really close and get this and learn how to pray in a way that's different probably than any way you've ever been taught to pray, but it's exactly how Jesus prayed in all of his ministry. It's exactly how Jesus uh, prayed when he talked to the fathers. It's exactly how Jesus did what he did with the kind of authority that he had. So you probably want to go back and listen to this a couple of times and really just pray for God to open your heart up about this kind of stuff, because we're going to go, we're going to talk about sanctifying your spouse. We're going to talk about sanctifying your kids. We're going to go into some more detail in this. And listen, let me encourage you, consider becoming a world changer with us. We are actively involved in raising up one billion disciples to the Lord Jesus Christ all over the world, primarily through starting Bible schools that train leaders. And we need your help. It costs a lot of money. takes a lot of effort to do this. And be paying attention. If you're, a, if you're a pastor, really, doesn't matter if you're a believer or a pastor, we are getting ready to, to uh, multiply all of our efforts in training believers here in the United States. So if you want to go through Impact International School of Ministry, if you want to have this as a part of your church, uh, if, you want to, if, if you want to do this in your home or in your home group, get ready. We're going to be releasing new materials on this right away. So, or very, very soon. But today we're starting with, you start praying about I want to set my family apart in my heart unto the Lord and see where God leads you on this. I'll be talking to you again next week. Share this with somebody that needs it. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers Podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. 
Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.